This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's live call-in show. And um, uh, you're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, and here for you, here for your pets, uh, answer questions, talk about anything you want to talk about. And if you don't want to talk about anything, I have things I want to talk about, so it works out just fine. To get a hold of us, a couple of easy ways to do it, toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, toll-free at 877-385-8882. Also, you can, better way, I think, is to join us live. Here on Google Hangouts, just go on to Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. Scroll down, and there will be a link to Google Hangouts. And you can reach us live on Google Hangouts and uh, hopefully have your little pet with you. So uh, if you're going to ask me a question, I'd love to see you meet your pets. So that'd be a, a great thing to do as well. I want to thank our sponsor, Save This Life Microchip, more than a cone, raising awareness of of animal welfare through the arts, and Provecto, Provecto, 12-week protection against fleas and ticks. And, um, you know, even if you are living in certain parts of the country, still, it's very hot. Here in California, Southern California, Los Angeles, I woke up to a gorgeous day. It's going to be in the, you know, high 80s, and they say this week it's going to get into the high 90s again. So we still have fleas. And ticks, ticks are year-round. You know, ticks don't mind the cold weather. So if you're going to be hiking with your pets or running around the snow, whatever, you still got to be careful about those ticks. So to have good protection against flea and tick is ideal. So I wanted to uh, just go through some uh, AVMA and AHA, American Veterinary Medical Association, the American Animal Hospital Association, just tips, information, news, which I like to do. Maybe this will stimulate a little something in you to say, wait a second, I, I was wondering about that. So I'm going to call Dr. Jeff right now at 877-385-8882, and uh, we'll talk about it, 877-385-8882. So first of all, this is we've talked about this before because it's really ongoing research. I think it's really cool that dogs can change their facial expression in response to human attention. Now, what's so interesting about the study is, you know, as many of us know, and I'm sure we've all been there, done that with our pets and seen it. That when they look at you, we always say, oh, my God, they're looking at me with those sad eyes. So what do we do? We think that they're telling us and trying to manipulate us and to give us the the treat. Or if they're sitting next to you at the dinner table and they want that little piece of chicken. But what the study shows is that, no, they they are changing their facial expression because of human attention. So they are first giving the sad eyes because they're not getting your attention. Our response to seeing those sad eyes is, oh, we feel so sorry for them, so we're going to give a little piece of chicken or a little treat or jump up here as we come up on my lap kind of thing. So we are possibly reading a little bit too much into it, but we do know that their facial expressions change when they are not getting the same human attention or, or what happens when they have that smile on their face and they're wagging their tails and it's because they are getting human attention. So the issue, the facial expressions are changing based on our behavior to them. And if that facial expression ultimately leads to changing our behavior to them, well, I guess they win, huh? So uh, anyway, but uh, that's really cute. There's a new respiratory disease popping up in certain cities in Illinois, just to know about. So if you live in and around Chicago, big cities in Illinois, they don't know what it is. It's not the new influenza virus, H3N2, or the older one, H3N8. So we don't know exactly what it is, 
but uh, it is affecting dogs going to doggy daycares, going to boarding facilities, doggy parks, dog parks, etc. So you just might, and so and since we don't know which one it is, there's no vaccine for it. So, but it does not appear to be Bordetella, does not appear to be the influenza viruses. So nobody knows what it is. Not deadly, but it is making dogs sick. So if you live in those areas, anywhere in Illinois, big city, Illinois, you might want to just take note that recommendations at this point are just to go easy when it comes to your pets in these places. This one I thought was really, really amazing. And, you know, we always say that research on the, there's no such thing as research here's for animals and here's for people. There is so much cooperative efforts going on with these different research institutions, the veterinary schools, the medical schools, et cetera. But this one is really, really cool. So it's gene therapy. And of course, we've heard you know, some things, advances in gene therapy that basically restoring function to injured horses. And this is really cool. So what they're doing is they are taking it's I'm going to be a little technical here, but you just so you can, I can explain it if you want to hear an explanation, but it's vascular endothelial growth factor gene. So that the endothelial tissue is the tissue on the inside of the vessels. There are things like epidermis, right? Epithelial, that's on the outside. Endo is on the inside. So vascular, meaning the blood vessels. So it's a growth factor gene that stimulates growth of the inside of vascular vessels. Okay. That's a growth factor gene. And a certain protein that is a, it's called bone morphogenic protein 2. Anyway, so as they bring new blood vessels, new vasculature to areas of injured ligaments and tendons, which by the way, one of the biggest problems when it comes to ligaments and tendons, they don't have good blood supply. So the healing by just nature of tincture of time is really not that good. Even for example, when you do tendon surgery, let's say Achilles tendon surgery, we can actually take the two ends of the Achilles tendon We use some special suturing patterns to bring them together, interlocking type sutures. We use suture material that does not absorb. So it's non-absorbable, meaning it's permanent. We use certainly what we call a monofilament suture material. We don't want it to act as a wick for infection. And it stays there forever because healing of tendons and ligaments is really not that great. So we rely on permanent sutures to always be there. Now you're going to get, you'll get scarring around the sutures. It'll ultimately be okay, but we know that they have poor blood supply. So to be able to enhance blood supply to these tissues that typically do not have a good blood supply, that's magic. So can you imagine, this is amazing. So you take these horses and you inject this combination of gene therapy, vascular endothelial factor, the bone morphogenic protein too, all right? And they can walk and trot within three weeks and gallop within two months. That's amazing. You, I'm sure you all know it. If you have a racetrack horse, for example, that is injured and can't run, they have a tough time walking. You do know, I don't have to remind you or tell you what the fate of this horse often is. And that's terrible. They can't make it into a workhorse. Now they can, and now they may not bring it back to a track, but to be able to have them walk trot, even gallop and work, all right, it's going to save just hundreds, thousands of horses' lives. So I think this is really, really cool stuff. Now, clearly, what is going to happen if this is discovered and it works and they start putting it to the test and, and beyond just the laboratory kind of thing, and we take this to people. You know how many people out there have torn cruciate ligaments, right? Or 
torn collateral ligaments in their knee, ligaments in their shoulders, and need, end up needing surgery. Can you imagine if there was something you can actually inject into them? And again, if they're an athlete, they may not pitch again, but just to be able to go through life and still be active and, and not have pain, I think that is amazing. So I think that's pretty cool stuff. Um, oh, just one thing. I like to report good things. So I uh, had a fairly young Labrador in our office, ADR, ain't doing right. It was, um, and I'm saying like four-year-old, five-year-old Labrador and could see a mass on x-ray. And usually when you have a Labrador with a mass in the, in the uh, cranial abdomen, you're thinking something spleen. And dogs, uh, th- you know, these large breed dogs, especially, are known for their splenic tumors. So we go in surgically, tell the owner that we got to go and explore. It looks like a spleen. Let's remove it. Sure enough, it was a spleen, a splenic tumor. We remove it. And uh, after removing, you know, these are pretty, pretty vascular. We're still getting some oozing. And it, it wasn't coming from anything that we had just removed. And there was some blood in the belly already, which we assumed was from the spleen. So we start going through the abdomen and pulling out the uh, intestines and giving a good look. And there is a firm mass down at the area of what we call the mesenteric lymph node that is very swollen, oozing, and rock hard. And, and actually, certain parts of the intestine were adhering to this node. So hmm, it's unlikely to have two things going on at once. Typically, the liver looked great. Everything else looked good. I didn't really anticipate a spread yet anyway, even if it was going to be the aggressive form of splenic cancer called hemangiosarcoma. So I noticed that this thing had a, it was firm, the lymph node, but it had like a soft, like, like, a, like a bath. You know, you could push it in a little bit. It just wasn't pure tissue. So sure enough, stuck a needle into it and got tons of this disgusting, pussy, kind of really gross uh, stuff out of it. So we saved that for culture. I took a little piece of the node itself to send off for biopsy, of course, along with the spleen. And we, you know, told the owner, it's very bizarre. The splenic tumor looked pretty ugly. Um, Many of them, probably most of them are going to be hemangiosarcoma. So it's sort of a very sad day for them. But we completed the surgery, woke the dog up. They came to visit after surgery. They were very, very sad because with these two things going on and how sick the dog was prior, the prognosis was guarded at best. So we sent everything off. You know, the dog over the last week is getting a little stronger, a little better, which we were very happy as they were too. The more time they spend with this dog, the better. And uh, just got the results last night. And the spleen wasn't even one of the big three, which is a hemangiosarcoma, hemangioma, or splenic hematoma, but it was a myelolipoma. So it was like the muscle portion of the spleen had a big fatty mass and the fatty mass grew and started rupturing through the spleen tissue, which caused the, the ugly look and the bleeding and the, from the spleen, et cetera. And that is benign, benign, which means removing the spleen is curative. Now, let's go to what was going on in the node. The node was some sort of weird abscess, possibly from some sort of trauma, infection, something. The dog, who knows? They don't know why it is, but it is not lymphoma. It is not a metastatic disease from something else going on in the body. We are still waiting for our culture result. We sent the dog home on on two heavy hitter antibiotics anyway, right? As soon as we saw that it was very infected. Anyway, this dog's prognosis goes from guarded at best to pretty darn good. And that is just fantastic. So Rocky, if you're listening out there. We are so happy. And I know that's great. It's um, amazing news. And when you get those good ones, when sometimes, you know, a lot of times we're dealing with cancers, it turns out not to be so good. It really puts a big smile on my face. Anyway, it is that halfway, halftime 
here on the show. So uh, don't go away. We want to hear from our sponsors, and we will be right back. And we are going to talk about Halloween safety. It's a big one. It's where we go. Don't go away. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. As a dog, I know a lot about fleas and ticks, so trust me when I say no other tasty chew protects dogs as long as Brevecto. One Brevecto chew keeps fleas and ticks away for up to 12 weeks. Be a good human and ask your vet about Brevecto. Brevecto may cause vomiting. They called it elephant skin. It was rough, wrinkly, like a Brillo pad. His hair was falling out in clumps. Petey stopped eating and all his hair fell out. Our golden retriever, Sundance, he scratched incessantly. There was hair all over. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Within two weeks, the shedding slowed down to almost none. The scratching went away after a few days and... Sundance's coat was starting to get shiny and glossy. It's a 180 turnaround. His skin has cleared up. He is not in pain. If your dog has shedding, dry skin, excessive scratching due to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E oh. dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com And welcome back here live with Dr. Jeff Wilber here on Pet Life Radio. It's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And as I promised, we are going to talk Halloween. Halloween safety, it's coming up. A uh, week and two days away, something like that. And um, I, I, I want to do this today and not next Sunday, only because I want to give you more time to prepare and to sort of smarten up a little bit when it comes to our pets and Halloween. So um, I have some really good tips, and here they are. If one strikes your fancy and you want to get a hold of us, 877-385-8882, or just join us live here on Pet Life Radio just by clicking on the Google Hangouts link that is attached to the um, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. So. Number one, clearly we know this one, trick-or-treat candies are for us and not for our pets. They are very attracted to the candies. Dogs especially love chocolate. They love smell. They love sweetness. And guess what? They don't unwrap, which means that they will eat the whole thing. And don't think that because it's wrapped up in some sort of tightening cellophane that you can, or plastic or whatever the heck it is, and you can't smell it. They smell everything. They can even tell you the ingredients in order. That's their nose. So be really careful. Of course, dark chocolate, baking chocolate, cocoa powder are going to be the most toxic. And things you're looking for, of course, vomiting and diarrhea, rapid breathing, increased heart rate. Those are things that can indicate possible chocolate toxicity. If it gets really bad, which hopefully it never will, they can actually seize. One other thing when it comes to candies, a lot of people are becoming much more conscious and aware of sugar. So what are they using? Sugar substitutes like xylitol. Look at the ingredients. If there is any xylitol, X-Y-L-I-T-O-L, in the candy or the mint or the sugarless gum, that is very, very, very toxic to dogs. So be careful. You want to make sure that they do not get a hold of it. It messes up with their sugar balance. It makes the body think that they have it when they don't, and they can actually get super hypoglycemic, 
And also, almost like a, a diabetic, it becomes hypoglycemic and sees. So be really careful. And with cats, we don't know it for sure. Cats are smarter anyway, and they're not attracted by sweet, so they probably wouldn't eat it anyway. We don't know if it has the same effect on cats, but stay away. Try not to leave your pets outside in the yard alone. You know, there's a lot of noise, a lot of commotion, and we don't want them to freak out. And of course, make sure they have all their ID. They need their collars. They need their leashes. They need microchips. So it's very important because if because of all the excitement, the fear, the anxiety, they may find a way out of a yard or even if the doors are being opened every two minutes, right? With the kids and coming to the doors, they might try to escape. So be really, really careful. Make sure they have the ID. Speaking of doors, speaking of kids, even if you have a dog, all right, or a cat that is very kid and people friendly, Remember that when you open that door, as far as dogs and and animals are concerned, that's not a regular kid. They're wearing costumes. Their faces are being hidden. They look like whatever they're going to look like. And dogs can freak out. Even a sweet dog might bite. So, uh, of course, you want to keep pets away from the door for two reasons. Number one, fear of escape. And number two... They even a nice dog might become aggressive seeing something in the door that they've never seen before. Sure, they pick up a smell, they might pick up a sound, but that doesn't look like what I'm used to seeing attached to that sound and smell. So it could be a problem. And again, it could uh, freak him out. So again, as I with Fourth of July, uh, if you have a dog that does get rather excited, think about like a comms vest or think about cilio or think about one of the calming things that you can do to keep your pets relaxed, something more natural if you like. Chamomile, passion flower, California poppy, hops, uh, any of these natural products, valerian root, these are all work very well. Black cats, be careful with black cats. People are really weird. And, the, you know, there's always this aura about black cats and Halloween, and you just don't want to take any chances. So if you have a black cat, and we have a black cat, our cats are always inside. But anyway, for a few days, even before Halloween, starting this week, I would make a recommendation, keep them inside. Things that, some uh, decorative things that animals might get a hold of, pumpkin, corn. You know, as we know, corn cobs are major, major potential danger to dogs. They love them. Uh, they like corn and they will eat it. Unfortunately, that corn cob is not readily digestible. And by the time it's coursing through the intestine, it will come to a dead stop causing major blockage, major problems. So very important to keep those away. And there's really not nothing toxic about pumpkins, but it can be very irritated and large quantities and could cause some gastrointestinal upset. You know, remember one thing about dogs. They eat first and ask later. And they don't necessarily stop when they have that feeling of being satiated. So it's a problem. And of course, if you're going to hollow out your pumpkin and light it, be careful. This is where you got to watch cats too, because guess what? Cats are very inquisitive. And when they see that flickering flame, like with any candle, you know, it can be difficult. They might go in and try to investigate and it may not turn out very well for your cat. So again, you want to be careful. What about dressing your pets in costumes? I don't know. You know, I'm not a huge fan. I have to admit, you go online, there are some really, really cute costumes out there for pets. I would just tell you this, if your pet seems to be okay with it, and enjoy it. I mean, think about this. Now it's no longer just a simple basic collar around the neck, right? We take our dogs. They have the easy walk or the walk easy, whatever it's called. They have different types of, of harnesses we put on. The short-faced breeds that do, you know, don't do well when their neck is covered. So we put them on a harness. So they're already used to, many dogs are being used to having something on their bodies. When we walk them, they don't necessarily see how that harness is decorated. So they may be fine with it, and it's totally fine. If if they're fine with it, I'm fine with it. But always, I recommend test it first. And be careful about covering up their eyes because, again, you're out trick-or-treating. You're taking them with you, 
And if you obstruct their vision, which by the way, is not one of their best senses anyway, it could be dangerous because they might not think they see something, but it's not that they see it. They may react, they may respond. So you got to be very careful. Having said that, how about taking them uh, trick-or-treating when kids are coming out with costumes? The same thing we mentioned when the kids come to the front door, that these are not normal kids anymore. They don't look the same. Sometimes they won't even smell the same. The dogs will pick up the candy that's in the bags or the plastic pumpkins they're carrying. Again, you have to just know your pets. Know your dogs. If they are okay, you've done it in the past, they're used to it, you have them under control, and it's fine. But don't just take a dog out for the very first time on Halloween where you don't know how they're going to react or respond to these people. So I always recommend trying it first. Put the costumes on the dogs first. Try it out. See how they do. And of course, as I said, ID is key. A lot of dogs uh, get lost, and uh, we want to make sure that we avoid that. So for any leftover candies, be really careful what you do with them. Put them away. Hide them. Always send them, especially Snickers and M&Ms, to Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. I will enjoy them very much, and uh, I I'll make sure that my dogs don't get to either. I think it's so funny because always after Halloween, I bring all our leftover candy to my office. And uh, I think my staff loves me for it. So anyway, it's really a fun time. It can be very festive, but it also, and it can be very safe, but it also can be a potential danger. So when you're out there, plan ahead. Have a great week planning if you're going to take your pets in costumes. Try them on this week. Get your black cats inside. Watch any candies with xylitol, artificial sweetener. Too much chocolate uh, is bad. A little bit of chocolate is okay. And just remember one thing, that even though it might be a small amount of chocolate, it's unlikely that if that bowl of candies is still sitting accessible to your dog, that the dog is going to do, number one, eat just one. Number two, unwrap it first. So it's a different mindset when it comes to our pets. So you have to be very, very sensitive to that. We have to be smarter than they are. So thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. Have a great week. We will be here next Sunday. Once again, thanks to Brevecto, 12-week protection, fleas and ticks, uh, to more than a cone, raising awareness of animal welfare through the arts, and of course, microchip, save this life microchip. Um, and uh, as uh, we go on, we're going to talk about some other things that, that I'm working on that I think would be a major help to you and your pets. So uh, stay tuned. Anyway, have a great week, and uh, thanks once again uh, for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff. See you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.